might in any respects uh, see the point of our sermon this afternoon in those words. And generations yet unborn must teach them to their heirs, and thus shall they learn in God alone their hope securely stands, that they may never forget his works, but honor his commands. So as we uh, prepare to uh, hear the preaching of God's word, let's first of all hear God's word read to us, and then also the confession of the church. And so, uh, if you would open up to Ephesians chapter 1, first of all, Ephesians chapter 1. We'll just read the first three verses there, but then we'll turn over to chapter 5 and begin at verse 15, reading through um, chapter 6, verse 4. So let us now hear God's holy word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Please turn over to chapter 5, starting at verse 15. We have all these blessings in Christ, and therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making most of your time because the days are evil. So understand then, do not be foolish, but understand, or sorry, so so then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for the things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands ought to love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to, or also, ought also to love their own wives As their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each, of you, each individual among you also 
is to love his own wife as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So far, reading in God's holy word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I also encourage you to turn to Lord's Day 27, again found in the Creeds and Confessions book underneath the seat in front of you. If you would like to follow along there, I encourage you also to leave that open. We'll be referring to that. Begin at question and answer 72, found on page 35 if you're still looking for it. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No. Only Jesus Christ's blood and Holy Spirit cleanses or cleanse us from all sin. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God has good reason for these words. He wants to teach us that the blood and the Spirit of Christ wash away our sins. Just as water washes away dirt from our bodies. But more important, he wants to assure us that wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that the washing away of our sins spiritually is as real as physical washing with water. Should infants be baptized? Should infants too be baptized? Yes. Infants, as well as adults, are in God's covenant and are his people. They no less than adults are promised the forgiveness of sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who produces faith. Therefore, by baptism, the mark of the covenant, infants should be received into the Christian church and should be distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. Let us take a moment to pray. Gracious God and merciful Father, Again, we ask that your Holy Spirit would illumine us. Grant us to see uh, our children through the lens of your covenant, through your covenant promises given to us throughout Scripture, and who find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, who underwent circumcision and baptism unto death, so that we might be saved that we might be buried with him and resurrected with him to new life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have just baptized little Luca Amrit Rai. And baptism is very fresh in our minds. But I wonder how much this baptism shapes our thinking again throughout all our lives. Just as we saw this morning, these things that we have seen displayed visibly before us ought to shape our thinking. The truth of what is taught in the visible sacrament ought to help us understand and live a certain way. I don't remember my baptism, and so it can be easy to forget. And so when you see other children get baptized, we may even have this tendency to think that it's about that child being baptized, and we think merely of the significance for them. But this teaching ought to spread throughout all of our lives. It ought to help us see even our own children in a certain way. The children of the church. And so it even digs down into the way we parent our children. It shapes our thinking as young people. It shapes our identity and who we are. See, baptism isn't Some sort of tradition. We don't bring Luca up here to the front so that everybody can see how cute he is. No, we bring him up here not out of custom or superstition, but we do so because he is a child of the covenant. This visible sign and seal declares to us the covenant of grace that is given to believers and their children. In fact, this is a significant difference between our Credo Baptist brothers and sisters. Or you might say those who believe in believers' baptism, where they practice only allowing those who have professed their faith to have baptism. And they themselves recognize how this infects and affects everything, their view of the church, their view of the testimony of the gospel, their view of who belongs to Christ. And so this has wide-reaching implications. Believers Baptists recognize these wide-reaching implications just as we do as infant Baptists. Listen to these words of one of these believer baptisms. He says, we believe that baptism should be reserved for believers because it preserves the testimony of the gospel by showing that only those who have repented and believed belong to the church. The question that we need to ask ourselves, and in many ways, where this disagreement between the Baptists and us revolves around, is whether whether the children of believers are a part of the church. Whether they have these covenant promises given to them. See, baptism is a covenant relationship that is signed, sealed, and delivered. 
to believers and their children. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to uh, see that the covenant relationship of God is made with believers and their children. It is a sign and seal and to be delivered to these infants. But also we see the implications for our parenting. Now, before I get too far, as I mentioned earlier, this truth is not drawn from just one nice, tidy proof text where I could turn to uh, Hesitations chapter 3, verse 4, where God says, uh, this is where we ought to baptize babies, and you ought to baptize babies. Instead, it's drawn from the whole of the Bible, where God commanded, uh, or we don't see one command to, to baptize infants for sure. But if you look throughout the Old and the New Testament, we see God's attitude toward the children of believers. We can think, first of all, as we read from our uh, form of Genesis, where God in His grace entered into this covenant with Abraham. Abraham, who was an outsider, who was a pagan, God came to him. It came from above. God came to him and pulled him out, separated him from his kin, and entered into this covenant relationship with him. See, it wasn't initiated by Abraham, but it was by God. And he promised and said, I am going to be a God to you. I am going to be your God. And the promises Abraham received were far more significant than just the promise of having offspring or some piece of real estate. Abraham knew this, but God entered into this relationship with him and promised him that city that was not made by human hands, a heavenly one, a heavenly country, and he was not ashamed to be called his God. And he also said that these promises that he gave to him were not for him only, but also to his children, to his household, to his offspring. See, throughout the Bible, God promises to be a God to children who have been brought into the covenant with them. They are brought into fellowship and communion with this God, with these promises of forgiveness and the removal of sin. We need not look far. Because we can look and think about passages in which the church, the Old Testament church, Israel, was called to sing Psalm 22, verse 10. In which it says, upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. See, he didn't become their God just because he was old enough to believe in the promises of the covenant and accept them by faith. No, God had entered into this relationship with him from birth. There is no need for these promises to be um, um, for us to come to God for these promises. God brings these promises to us. They are 
His covenant promise to us. Also listen to these words from Ezekiel 16. God is rebuking the sinful practices again of His covenant people. He is angry with them because they are sacrificing their children to an idol, burning them alive. And so He calls them out as covenant breakers. But if you look there, you notice the language he is using concerning these children. First of all, in verse 20, he calls them your sons and your daughters. But then in verse 21, he says, you slaughtered my children and offered them up to idols by causing them to pass through the fire. Whose children are these? They are God's children. They are His children. The children of believers are in this relationship with Him through these covenant promises. And so the overwhelming evidence of the Old Testament is that God saved believers. That He entered into this relationship with their children. Again, even think about how they passed through the Red Sea. He didn't just take those out of Egypt who believed in Him. He took all those who had entered into that covenant relationship, both with adults and children. They passed through that Red Sea. They were delivered from slavery. You could never ask an Israelite, did God save your children? They would say, of course. He brought them through the Red Sea. And yet, when we look at the New Testament, we don't ever see God turn around and say, you know what, now the covenant is only for adults. These covenant promises only given to believers. No children allowed in my covenant. But in fact, He continues to affirm that relationship with them. In Acts, as we saw in the formulary, the promises for you and your children. And then he extends it to all those who are far off, off whom God will call into that uh, covenant through repentance and faith. And so it's an expansion. It would be foolish to think that now suddenly the children are cut off from this covenant. However, I actually think the most convincing evidence that children are the members of the covenant and the members of the church is because of what we see here in Ephesians. Just look at this. You might think, well, why did you read this? Okay, there was this passage about children. But look at how this opened up. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is this written to? To the saints who are at Ephesus. The holy ones. And in 1 Corinthians 7, it says that the child of even one parent who is a believer is holy. And also think about this. Because as the, this letter was written 
And even as we see in Colossians, that these letters were read to the church. That they were a part of their worship services. They were to be gathered together. And in Colossians, Paul commands that that letter be read in Laodicea when they are assembled together. And vice versa. And both in Ephesians and Colossians, these letters address children. In other words, they are a part of the church. They are to be in the congregation. To be hearing the words of God. Delivered not only to their parents, but to them. He says, children, obey your parents. He addresses them in that congregation as a church. And again, this was even found in Deuteronomy 31, in which it was commanded that men, women, and children, and even the alien who was within the town, part of your household, was to come and hear the covenant promises and that call to obedience with its blessings and curses. And so here, too, we see that these children are a part of the church. But also listen again to those words. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. It was interesting that one time I was actually uh, discussing this very topic with someone who believed in believer's baptism. And he was challenging me and saying, you know, how can you baptize anybody who's not a believer when by faith we are in Christ Jesus? That baptism is a sign of being united to Christ, being buried with him, being resurrected with him, being uh, crucified with him. That that's the sign of baptism. That it's a sign of membership to him, being a part and a relationship with him. Unfortunately, I never thought of this, but right here, children, obey your parents in the Lord. It is saying that the children already have a relationship in the Lord, and therefore God calls them to live in light of that relationship that he has with them. For these promises are for them. And so beloved people of God. This relationship which God enters into not only with believers. But also with their children. Gives them that right to the sign and seal of the promise. Some of you might have noticed that in my theme statement I talked about sign sealed and delivered. Now, some of you who maybe be old enough would recognize that song uh, by Stevie Wonder, Sign Sealed and Delivered, where he's writing about this relationship and, and likens himself to have come, uh, sign sealed and delivered, to come back into this relationship with them because he has failed and he wants to be entered back into this relationship with him. And so too, we, here we see this, this relationship which has the sign and the seal, the pledge. The sign where we have that physical sign as it's 
water poured out as a washing away. And notice how our, our catechism puts it. It says, God has good reason for these words. He wants to teach us the blood and the spirit of Christ wash away our sins, just as the water washes away dirt from our bodies. But more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that the washing away of our sins spiritually is as real as physical washing with water. This sign and a seal is an assurance to us of God's work, of God's work toward us to reconcile himself toward us in the washing away of our sins, in the resurrection to new life. It is a pledge and a sign to us. And it makes sense because as we read in our formulary, that water washes away the dirt, washes away the corruption of sin. And so he ties very closely that washing of the water and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we also recognize, as it says here, that this outward washing with water does not wash away sin. We ought not expect that this is something magical. That by uh, little Luca being baptized, that suddenly uh, he has become innocent because we merely have put this water on him. It doesn't guarantee the reality of what it is, of what it signifies. But even though this baptism, like a new birth and our physical birth, is a one-time event, it still needs to shape our thinking throughout our lives. It still needs to be a mark in which we need to see its benefits, as the Belgic Confession says. Baptism benefits us not only when the water is on us and when we receive it, but throughout our lives. One might liken the physical sign of baptism much like the ring that is given in marriage. Women may have other rings that they wear. They may have worn them before they were married. And yet, that one ring is a ring that was given with a vow, with a promise, with a pledge. And so that ring has a special significance. It isn't the marriage itself, but it is a symbol of their, and a sign of the vow that their husband made to them of the constant faithfulness and abiding love. With this ring, I thee wed. And so too, that relationship that God has entered into us can be uh, a, a sure sign of God's promises to us. That we can trust and know that our children are a part of this church. They are members of the body of Christ. And so children, you ought to remember your baptism. You ought to remember the baptism in those times in which you sin. Knowing that He washes and restores and renews. You have no reason to doubt that salvation. 
Baptism ought to be a great assurance, young people, with, as you walk with the Lord as a member of the church and as an inheritor of the promises. And this is even shapes our very preaching in the sermons that we hear. Again, recently I was listening to uh, a Baptist minister uh, where I heard a sermon that was essentially telling people that if they never knew a day in which they were outside Christ, then they should doubt their salvation. Because that is what you once were. And so you cannot be one who does not know a day or a time and, and be able to say that I never knew a day in which I was not saved. Sometimes I wonder what, how he would respond to someone like John the Baptist that was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Or Jeremiah, who had the very same promises to him. But this does not mean, however, that we presume everyone who is baptized is saved. For even Paul says that we judge those who are in the church, not those who are outside. We do not call those outside the church to sexual purity. We know that they can't have that. They don't know it. They don't want it because they are not members of Christ's body. And everyone needs to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And someone can reject these promises. They can ignore the promises. And that's why the author of Hebrews can say, How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve? who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who has said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so, young people, baptism is more than just some outward sign. It comes with a requirement, a requirement to believe on the promises of God. You cannot live your entire life sitting on the sidelines, not believing. And so, Paul warns in Romans 11, That Israel, those covenant people who had the promises, were removed from the tree because of their unbelief. And he warns even the Gentiles who were brought in that you will be removed too if you do not believe. Or think of John 14, the vine that doesn't bear fruit because they are not abiding by faith in the vine, the Father prunes. So do not use baptism as some sort of crutch or a presumption, but as a call to faith, to believe. It is a means of grace to strengthen that faith, 
to grow that faith, to assure you of faith. But finally, let's look at those implications and applications for for parenting. Let's look at how baptism shapes our thinking concerning the child-parent relationship. Again, from the believer's Baptist perspective, one writes, because biological childhood can never be transferred into spiritual childhood, we do not say to our children, be a good Christian child. Instead, we call them to repent and believe the gospel. But think about how Joshua approached this where he said that he and his household will serve the Lord. And again, we see Paul calling these children to obey their parents in the Lord. Really, Baptist brothers and sisters then shouldn't even be able to teach their children to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. Because what right do they have to call him our Father if They are not in that covenant of grace. Or sing as we did together as a church. Jesus loves me. They have no foundation in which to have their children call on God as a father in heaven. And so we as parents then have good ground to teach them to live as believers. As children of God. As holy Because these are God's covenant children. They are His. But that also means parents have a responsibility to raise these children in relationship with the Lord. One pastor said that he was once teaching a catechism class where one of the students really wasn't doing the work. He was uh, kind of goofing off in class and being a disturbance. And so he went... To the parents and, and kind of said, you know, you really ought to be encouraging this, this young man to, um, to do the work, to, to really look at these things. And the response of the parents was, well, we just don't want to cram it down their throat. And so on the one hand, we can probably say, well, of course, uh, we ought not provoke our children to wrath. But we also do not treat them as the world treats their children. That simply says, oh, well, here are your options. You could believe if you want, or you can, you know, just go off and do whatever you want. Here's the choices before you. Of course, they have those choices. But we ought to encourage them. We ought to point to their baptism. We ought to remind them of the testimony that God has given them in their baptism. It is a choice that has eternal significance. And so we raise these children to serve the Lord. We teach them the ways of the Lord on that road when we lay them down at night, when we wake them up in the morning. We continue to call them to live according to the promises and believe. We aren't trying to convert them as if they are outside that covenant. And so in conclusion, 
Baptism isn't just some sort of momentary tradition that we forget as soon as it's over. It's a profound covenant that God gives to us and our children. It's a relationship that is entered into with us, where it is his relationship is signed, sealed, and delivered as it proclaims the gospel promises to us in Christ Jesus, incorporating us into his church. And so throughout the Bible, God's covenant extends not only to Abraham, but his offspring. And we are children of Abraham, and so our offspring also have these promises upon them. And so baptism serves as a visible sign and seal of God's covenant promises. Not a magical ritual, but a physical symbol of that incorporation into Christ. Of our forgiveness, our burial with Him, our rising to new life. It assures us of God's faithfulness. However, baptism isn't that guarantee of salvation. It comes with obligations. It comes with covenant promises, but also that, that responsibility to trust in those promises. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to not just merely put this baptism that we have witnessed out of our minds, but let it shape how we live. Let it shape us as it calls us to faithfulness and greater and greater faith in, him, in you. That we may be assured that you have truly washed away our sins in Christ Jesus. And we need not doubt your promises and your faithfulness in Christ Jesus. That we need not doubt our place and our children's place in the kingdom of God. The Lord may this mark be one that impresses upon us throughout our entire lives. Amen. Let us now stand.